good morning. I uh, contemplated not coming back this morning, not on account of any of you except for Charlie, of course, who uh, did a wonderful job last week. Charlie, I just, I just want to tell you what, what I was most impressed by was your adherence to God's word, and I appreciate that. It uh, gives me confidence and even desire to be gone more often, so way to go, brother. Way to go, brother. I'm a planner, if you haven't noticed that, um, if you've been around me a little bit. This, this, if you haven't been, or even if you have, I maybe hide it. Well, you may be shocked to know that when I plan something and things don't go the way I want them to, I get just a tish agitated. Uh, I've been called names. Um, Unjustifiably, of course, control freak, uh, you know, detail-oriented with, with air quotes, you know, that sort of thing. But I like to plan things because I think as long as you have a plan, you can deviate from it. Um, not, that's not to say that I'm not spontaneous on some stuff. I can just up and, and do things, but I like to have a plan. And so, uh, for example, last week, Amanda and I, uh, she had a conference to go to in Denver. And uh, uh, I said, you know what, I can, I can work remote for a, a few days and then we can take an extra day and, and let's go hiking. We like to hike national parks and stuff like that. Um, but, but, you know, when you travel, you have to plan for where you're going, right? Now, I live at 126 feet above sea level. I know that because of Harvey and, uh, and, and I'm pleased with that. I have a nice moist texture to my skin because of the humidity in Houston. Um, it was 48 degrees when we landed in Denver the other night. Sunday, just prior to the service here, that was the one day we had to get into the National Park. We had to plan to get into the National Park because they have time slots and only let so many people in. So it was supposed to rain later in the day, but the morning was supposed to be fine, but a little cool. Now, mind you, it had snowed the week before, but it's Memorial Day. It's supposed to melt. And so at 6 o'clock in the morning to get to our 5 to 7 a.m. window to get into the park, we're driving up the mountain, and the snow from the afternoon began to fall in the morning. And then, as we got a little higher in elevation, the snow turned into, or the, the the rains turned into snow. I do not like cold. I have never liked cold. Sixty-five is my threshold. Um, I, I I don't enjoy it. And so we get up to the parking spot that that we got there early for, and it's half snow, half rain. And I'm thinking I did not plan for. And we had jackets, but not enough that we did not have gloves. We didn't plan for that. I like a good plan. I like to, to have a starting point. You, you may not know this, but uh, every year I kind of go through what I feel like the Lord wants me to preach this year. And, and there are places where I'm like, I, have, I haven't preached this ever, or I don't want to preach this, and I pray about that, and I, I seek the Lord's guidance on that, because there's a reason sometimes, sometimes, I know this may not be what you want to hear, but sometimes these messages have nothing to do with you, they're me and the Lord wrestling, and you just get to watch this, right, like WWE up here, right, or F, or whichever letter they're on, and so I plan out the whole year, I don't plan for natural disasters, I don't plan for hurricanes, I don't plan for things to happen, and so sometimes my plan gets askew. Like when I got sick back in January, I was planning to be in Jeremiah chapter 2, and Angelo got the, the pinch hit. I didn't plan to have a, a kidney stone a year ago on a Saturday night to be in the hospital. 
I didn't plan for that, and it really it messed me up. But it, we, we all like to have plans, don't we? And this morning, we're actually going to talk about God's plans. And it may be a little troubling for some of you because you've got an ideal about this passage already, and I, I'm hoping to flip that a little bit. But I want to talk to you a little bit this morning, particularly about God's plans and some of the challenges and the struggles that we have in regards to God's plans. Last week was a terrible, terrible week in the state of Texas, in our nation, in our world, when, when 19 kids were killed in a, in a classroom. And I have struggled with that. I won't, I won't sugarcoat a lot of things. I'm a, I'm a big Second Amendment fan because I believe the second backs up the first, and I think the First Amendment is the one that we really, really underutilize, poorly utilize, and need to do more of. That doesn't mean I'm a crazy gun nut. That doesn't mean that everybody needs to have one, and that doesn't mean that I'm not having difficulties with the reality that the freedoms that we have are, as Matthew McConaughey, I think, said really well, are very irresponsibly exercised. But I'm having difficulties making sense of how God's plan allows for those kids to suffer that way, innocently. I've questioned God. Is this your plan? Did you allow this to happen? Did you know this was going to happen? Do you want this to happen? I don't feel a bit bad about seeking God on those questions. Because I'm going to tell you something, there's a lot of times where I have been angry with God for a lot of reasons, but I just feel very confident that even in my anger, if I'm talking to him, at least we're carrying on the relationship. It's when I stop talking to him is where things go really bad for me. I don't know about you, but I don't have all the answers. I am struck by the reality that God has given me free will to make choices and decisions to do things in my life that disrupt, interrupt, and in, interact with other people's lives. I can't tell you that, that this was God's plan. I have a real hard time saying that this was God's plan, but I, I can tell you this, that everything that happens God either knows about, has decided, or he allows. And it's really a tough place to get to to say, well, if God knew about it, why didn't he do anything to stop it? And it's this huge theological challenge that we come to, and you really hear it out of those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as they're questioning how an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God who can be these things allows for things like that to happen. And where we fall short, every single one of us, is we look at that and say, how could God let this happen? But yet, God still allows you to make decisions in your own life that are just as evil, that are just as contrary to his plan, that are just as sinful. How can God allow for that to happen? It is a holier-than-thou place for us to stand and say, I don't do those things, but I still have free will choice, which is against the Father's will. And then to claim that God has a plan for my life. Almost to say it's like rolling the dice. It doesn't really matter what I do because God has a plan for my life. It absolutely matters what you do. But I promise you there is not anything that will change God's plan for any of our lives. God's plan is constant. It is consistent. It is moving forward. It is always moving forward. And I'm just going to be honest with you this morning to remind you that when God has a plan, it is an invitation for you to be a part of it. And for a Christ follower, it is a requirement. 
Because Jesus did not die on the cross for you to have license to live your life any way you see fit and blame God for the outcome of that. It was God's plan from the beginning for Christ to die on the cross for you so that you might know him, serve him, and enjoy the salvation that he provides. I want to caution you this morning that if you go looking for understanding in events like Uvalde or Buffalo or Tulsa, that you're going to find yourself very disappointed by any human answer that comes out. I remember a few years ago, I had taken a bunch of kids on mission trips. I watched them grow up from the sixth grade into the twelfth grade, their first year in college. One of the young men had threatened suicide. And some of those kids that I watched grow up had, had contacted me and they said, Pastor John, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. At that moment, feeling very helpless. It was that dads, it's that feeling of, of you, you know there's an issue with your kid and you can't do anything about it. That's kind of how I felt about these kids. I don't have the answers for you. I, don't, I, I can't tell you, but I can tell you this we're going to make ourselves crazy trying to figure out why these types of things happen when what we really need to do is turn to the one who, are, who, who knows our hearts. Is to confess to the Lord clearly, I don't know why this happens, but I do know that you are good and that you are for me. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, many of you know this passage of Scripture because you have these big plaques on your walls that, that have Jeremiah 29 11 on there. You're that commercial where, where you buy a house and become your parents. Y'all know the one I'm talking about? Who needs this many pillows? Who has this signs? Live, laugh, love. We're going to be exploring a little bit of Jeremiah 29 11 this morning, and, and I'm, just, I'm just going to ask you if you will be open to the reality that you have misinterpreted this passage for the duration of your life. Because it is highly likely that you have, but that plaque sure looks nice on your wall. Now, lest I get in trouble with any of, of the men folk this morning, uh, this is not licensed to go to Kirkland and buy more house decorations, okay? Uh, I, I think you should keep the plaques on the wall, but I hope you'll have a better understanding about this because because my guess is there, this, this passage is far richer than you have ever explored. And so I want to start this morning by telling you a little bit about Jeremiah and possibly answering the question of how do we make sense of God's plan? How do we look at, 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 at our position in, in the, the timeline of history and see that God has a plan for my life and that God wants for me things greater than I want, different things than what I want, and that God works things out, even and especially in the midst of our trials, our tribulations, our turmoil, our pains, our hurts, our confusion about events like what happened in Uvalde this past week. Now, Jeremiah, at this point, here's what's going on in the history of Jeremiah when you get to chapter 29. Many of the people that were there, the kings, Zedekiah, uh, his, his, his brothers, his family, his mother, uh, his wife, they have already been exiled. They're now living in Babylon. Actually, some of them have already been killed. But Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem for some reason. Now, you might know that Jeremiah has been preaching one message. And at this point, it's about 23 years of the same sermon. And he's been saying to them, repent, for the, the Lord is at hand. And if you repent, he wants to forgive you, and we'll get to keep our land. We get to stay in Jerusalem. We get to be in the promised land, and we are God's chosen people. But because they did not repent, 
God said, I'm going to send Babylon to you, a nation, by the way, that you have had recently thought about fighting against uh, with Egypt to get water and everything else. And I've sent pestilence, I've sent famine, I've sent the sword, but I've also sent Babylon to you. And as Charlie said very clearly last week and reiterated that if you will bow to Babylon, you'll wear the wooden yoke of the burden. But if you will not, you will wear the steel, the iron yoke. That'll be an even greater burden upon these people. And for whatever reason, they chose the iron yoke. And so God has exiled many of them to live in Babylon, and they're stuck there. But Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem at this time. And Jeremiah is still ministering like a good pastor does, like a good prophet does. He is still ministering to the souls of those who are trying to figure out, how did we get here? I thought we were God's chosen people. I thought that he had everything worked out for us. I thought everything was going to be okay. After all, our prophets had been telling us, no, 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 in two years, the Babylonians who stole our gold from the temple are going to just voluntarily bring it back. But that's not happening. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, we kind of see this letter that Jeremiah writes out. In fact, it begins that way. This letter was written, it was delivered by the hands of Eliah, and, and it's written to three audiences. It's, it's, it's written to, to those who, have, uh, uh, who are hopeless. It's written to those who have a false hope, and it's written to those who have hope. And that's kind of all of us this morning, especially in the midst of any sort of tragedy or difficulty we have in our life. We find ourselves positionally moving back and forth from being completely hopeless to being of a place of false hope to being of a place where we finally submit to the Lord and see that our hope is only in Him alone. It's the interesting thing about hope is that hope is always future focused, but it deals with our present, with our reality, because our hope is that this current reality will change and when it changes it's for the better and that's what we're looking for and so this morning the first thing I want to show you is how do we make sense of God's plan it's actually really simple God is God and you are not I need that to soak in deep I, I, I that needs to permeate to levels of obedience of, of levels of submission to the Lord of levels of of I do not fully understand, but I don't have to because God is God and I am not. Perhaps one of the most self-destructive things in our lives is when we become our own God. When we determine what is highest and best and right for our own lives. When a whole bunch of individuals try to push a collective to think their way, doesn't matter who they are. Religious zealots, crazies in the church, crazies outside of the church. They are not God. God is God, and you are not. And there is a sovereignty of the Lord that comes from that, from submitting to him of realizing that no matter the case, that there will always be things about God that I do not know, that I do not understand, and I am most certainly not entitled to an explanation from an almighty God. If you'll look with me in verse 4. Jeremiah's letter starts out very clearly, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Simeon, cult. Notice that he's setting this up and saying that the Lord, the sovereign God, the creator of the universe has determined that this is the outcome 
And to be perfectly honest with you, this is no surprise to anyone because God said, this is coming. And so the whole time, he's been honest with you, he's been straightforward with you, he's been gracious with you, he's been merciful to you, and he told you that this is what's going to happen. And so if you're in exile, and you're away from God, or he has taken you out of your comfort, and from your own man-made security, and placed you someplace else, this should not be a surprise to you. Because God is God, and we are not. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Now, just focus on this for a moment with me. Do you resent God because he's more powerful than what you are? Are you angry with God because he can do as he pleases and owes you no explanation at all? Some of you shaking your head no, some of you are kind of contemplating that a little bit. You ever ask God for something and he not give it to you and all of a sudden it's his fault? sick loved one and he visited me? Lord, I have a prodigal child, would you bring him back? Lord, I have a boss that, Lord, I have a boss. You see, like it or not, when God is not God, we miss out on the majesty of his sovereignty miss out on the majesty of his sovereignty. We don't have to understand all the things that he does or what he allows or what he lets happen because in our free will, we're going to make decisions. And it's not like God is powerless to do something with that. It's that his plan is so much greater that he knows what you're going to do and he allows you to do so because to not have that free will, that ability to make those decisions in our own lives that often impact other people's lives, then God is nothing more than a tyrannical leader at that point. And there's no need for grace. There's no need for mercy. When God stops us from doing the things that we ought not do, there's something about a choice that draws us into him. When he declares himself the Lord of hosts, he's, he's redeclaring the authority that he has had through all of his creation. As he said a couple of chapters back, I made it. I can do what I want with it. It can go any direction that I want it to go. And in fact, I'm playing the long game here, and I've got a longer plan for you. When God is the simple, highest priority in our lives, it is okay for us to ask him questions about things we don't understand, we don't agree with, we don't like. It's good for us to seek him because he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. But if you're seeking him to turn your way, to, to give you the desires of your heart, the worst thing that could possibly happen is he actually does it. Because the desires of your hearts, as we see in other places and passages of Scripture, tells us fairly clearly that his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. And I want to tell you, friends, as angry as I've been, as frustrated as I've been, as scared as I've been, the articles I've read this past week looking how churches are going to address these things, what should or shouldn't we say as a, as a body of believers, as a, as a church, as a believer, as a nation, what, what the, the scary part of this, this of the politics of the evangelical right and all those things that, that come into play in these things. I want to tell you something. God is God and you are not. And the more we try to fix things by our own laws and by our own ways and our own attitudes and our, and our own whatever, as long as it's us, we're going to get it wrong every single time. And we're not going to see progress, we're not going to see improvement, 
We're going to keep seeing things that happen like that. And sadly, we're going to get to a place where we're going to become very desensitized. And we might even go to a place where we blame God or we say something flippantly arrogant and foolish. Well, that must have been God's plan. I do not think it was God's plan for those children to die that way. But I do think it is God's plan for each of us to be able to make decisions in our own lives. And as such, one of those decisions is to follow him or not. Look with me, secondly, of how we may make sense of God's plan. This one's funny to me, especially as I get older. Participate in the present and be ready for the future. What does that mean? That means that we have a spot open for anybody who'd like to go to camp with our kids. That means that Angelo and Lance and I, particularly for the last couple of weeks, and as we're kind of moving forward, are looking, saying that we want to do some things with our children's ministry. We want to we want to be able to reach into a community. It's got a lot of young families. We've got to make some adjustments and some changes. We need to participate in the present because God's got great things for us in the future. We can't just show up and ask for it to be handed to us. But look with me in verse 5 of chapter 29. In Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, he says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and praise the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Basically, he's saying, make the best of a bad situation. Bloom where you're planted. One of the things that's happening in Christianity, particularly Western Christianity, by the way, is that we're having 1.6 children per household. Whereas in the Muslim faith, particularly in other parts, including the United States, they're having 3.2 children per household. Now, if you want to talk about how to perpetuate a faith system, keep having babies. Now, lest we misunderstand this, we're also killing a couple hundred thousand babies in the United States legally every year. And yes, some of those are happening within the church. That statistic is not different inside or outside, unfortunately. But Jeremiah says very clearly a couple of things. You are submitting to the yoke that has been placed over you, the wooden yoke of Babylon. And while you are there, I want you to continue to build houses. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to live in peace with your captors. He doesn't say I want you to acclimate fully. He doesn't say I want you to worship their gods is what we'll see with, with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what we'll see with Daniel into the exile. They're not going to submit to all of those pagan things. They're going to look and say, hey, you know what? This is a bad situation, but somehow the Lord has provided for me and my family a house, a garden, and a relationship. In the midst of all this turmoil and trouble, God is still thinking about his people. He's still watching out for them. You might remember that whenever Joseph was sold into slavery and ended up in Egypt, 400 years passed by. And as we open up the book of Exodus, what we see is, is that the number of the Hebrews outnumbered the Egyptians. And the Egyptians got worried about this because they said, we don't know what we're going to do when they realize they outnumber us. Maybe that's perhaps why people don't have as many children these days, because some of you have lots of kids and parents, you know, you're outnumbered. Right? Amen. That's right. And it's only the Lord's protection that helps, right? 
God says, make the best of your situation because I'm actually going to do something in your future, but I need you to be able to repopulate the promised land. I don't know why this is so hard because let's be perfectly honest with you. We're talking about sex and marriage here, and those are good things. It's interesting that the Lord would say continue to do so. He said that a couple of times in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. He said that when they come out of the ark. Be fruitful and multiply. Tells them to continue to do so because God's chosen people, the Israelites, what's left of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin here, God's saying, listen, I understand the situation you're in now because I put you there because I'm responding to your choices to worship foreign gods, to worship idols and not trust me. But I'm going to restore you. It's part of the covenant I made with you. I'm going to return you back to the land. But you need to have a critical mass in order to do so. And this is how you do that. And in case you're wondering how you're going to build a critical mass, you're going to be here for 70 years. Three generations worth. Bloom where you're planted. Likewise, what he is saying is to to live in harmony with your neighbors. Because as long as the welfare of this city is good, you're going to be fine. And listen, for what it's worth, the welfare of Babylon was not good until God's people arrived. Isn't it something? When God's people arrive, the whole environment changes. But he says, when you find welfare in the city, when you are producing, when you're mixing amongst the people, and you're showing them that, yes, you serve a holy God, and yes, he allowed for you to be in captivity, you will demonstrate to them that all the false gods that they worship is nothing compared to your God, and you'll serve him with a smile. Isn't that hard to do sometimes? It's really hard to do is to serve the Lord, knowing that he's got a better plan for your life than what you have for your own. Great ministry in doing so as well. And in discipline, we find that great ministry. You know how to tell when someone learned from their mistakes? You do? They capitalize on that knowledge. They share it with others. They try to stop people from going down the same road. Some of you call that parenting. It's just the reality that where we are is not an accident. It's not a mistake. It may be by our own doing. That doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It doesn't mean that God has failed us. It doesn't mean that God's plan has changed or failed or can be thwarted. It just means that in the midst of this, God is saying you need to learn some discipline now because in the future, which is where hope finds its reality, I've got big plans for you. I'm going to need you to be ready for me. disinformation. There is some junk out there these days, don't you agree? Fake news. Look at verse 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the sovereign one, the creator of all things, the one who is in power of all things, the God of Israel, by the way, the one whose chosen people they are. Do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to their dreams and uh, that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. I, I have been bothered by statements that our president has made over the last couple of months. And he seems to have a... Um, 
a laxity about his language to say, in God's name, why do we or why don't we? And I, I greatly underappreciate that. I, 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 that's not the right word. I hate that. I hate that for a lot of reasons because we don't take the Lord's name in vain, first of all. Second of all, I cannot stand when people bring God into a situation where they're trying to manipulate the Holy of Holies for their situation. I can't stand that. And I see that in so many places. If you're a, a student of the Middle Ages and the Crusades, you would see that the, the war against the Moors, as they would call them, the, the, the war to, to, to actually reclaim Jerusalem over and over again from the different Crusades, is that these Crusaders, God wills it. Where we see an underlying tone of that right now, remember I love you. term elections, things are going to be different. In literally, catch this, in two years, things are going to be better. Y'all know what I'm talking about? These same words the prophets were saying, in two years, Babylon's going to return all the things to the temple, and they're just going to let all these people free, and we're going to be back to where we were, God's chosen people. We're going to be elevated back to the status that we are as a, as America, I mean, as, as 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 Israelites. In two years, listen, friends. This is a challenge when we start listening to people prognosticate, if you will, about what the future is going to be when we get a change in leadership in this country, when we get a change in leadership in this church. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter who's in the pulpit. It doesn't matter who's in office. If Jesus Christ is not on the throne, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. You get the government you deserve because the government of any man will always be substandard to Jesus Christ. In fact, the scripture tells us that the government will be on his shoulders. And he will carry the burden of the people that he loved, his people, so much that he'll go to the cross for them. So many times we see these false promises, and, and, and listen to me, false prophets, whenever we're looking out for disinformation, they always talk about making the situation better. They don't talk about putting your heart right with your creator. They always talk about how inflation may be better, or unemployment may be better, or war may be better, or, or poverty may be better, or more baby formulas show up. And listen, I'm absolutely knocking all of that, because all those are just realities we're going to have to learn to deal with. And we can hate them, we can not like them, we can make all kinds of decisions about them. But I'm going to tell you something, if your trust and your faith is in any government, one you like or one you dislike, more than your, your trust in Jesus Christ, you are already going down the wrong path. And you will be disappointed every time. And perhaps the scariest thing about false hope, about listening to false prophets who, who maybe are right a little bit at a time, is that false hope keeps us in rebellion. It keeps us in rebellion because we're chasing after someone else's wants for us instead of God's plan for us. And the reason why we don't know God's plan is because we don't know God's word. Let me say that again. The reason we don't know God's plan is because we don't know God's word. And when we keep circumventing the process, 
the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, I'm telling you what I've already told you. As Jeremiah has preached for 23 years, that someone's going to come and they're going to conquer you and they're going to take you into captivity for 70 years. But yet, your prophets are saying, no, no, no. In two years from now, everything's going to be just fine. brings us to our favorite passage of scripture in Jeremiah. How do we make sense of God's plans and trust God in the middle? For thus says the Lord in verse 10, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, I will fulfill to you my promises and bring you back to this place. If you don't read that with what comes afterwards, you're missing out. I might recall a story where Jesus and some of his closest friends had just fed a bunch of people with, with a couple of baskets of fish and loaves. And Jesus says to them, hey, I've got an idea. Listen, Mark 4.35, let's go to the other side of the lake. And so they get into the boat, they get out on the water, a storm comes up, they're tossing back and forth. Jesus is asleep, by the way, and all of his disciples come to him and say, Master, do you even care about us? We're all going to die. I want you to catch something that we miss every single time when we read that passage, and that they miss every single time. Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. That was his plan. That was his, his whole plan for them. He was so confident that he was going to go with his friends to the other side of the lake, he fell asleep. Jeremiah had been saying for 70 years, you're going to be in captivity in Babylon. Why are you asking for something different when the Lord has already declared it? Why are you trying to talk him into something? And more so, really, why are you trying to not believe what he's already said? That's the good thing about God is that when he says something, he means it. And he doesn't go back on his word. But when he says that no matter what happens, I will visit you, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, here's where, here's where Jeremiah 29, 10, 11, 12 really gets out of whack for us. This promise that comes up in Jeremiah 29, 11 is not for you. It's not your promise. God did not make this promise to any one of you or to any one of us. And we like to think that he does. We put it on the plaque on our wall. And when our friends are down and things are hard and God bless you, you don't have the answers to all the questions you say, God has a plan for you. Isn't that comforting? Well, what is it? I don't know. As long as I can rest in the mystery of him, I don't have to worry about any of that. In fact, I can just put all that burden on his shoulders. One pastor said it like this. He says, no matter how bad life gets, remember, it's only one lifetime. You see, when we don't pay attention to what God has already said, where he's already spoken on these things, we miss out on the will of God, of, of God's plan. God, how come I don't know what you want for my life? Well, if you just take the first ten commandments and pay attention to those and stop breaking them, then perhaps maybe you would have a better understanding of what my will is for your life. But instead, you want me to change the rules for you so that it works within your framework. Look at 
verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God is always thinking about his people. And this is why I say to you, first and foremost, this promise was not made to you, and not all of God's promises are for every person in creation. And you're going to have to chew on that one a little bit. Because what I'm essentially saying is that God did not promise everybody the same thing. Now, before you start wondering, is John a predestinationalist? Is he one of those those people who believes in the elect? I'm going to tell you this, first and foremost, it doesn't matter. But I can tell you that God's plan is only for his people. And so when we walk around telling people who are not his people that God has a plan for their life, The unfortunate truth is, is that plan is for anyone who does not believe in him and his son Jesus Christ are going to spend an eternity absent of him in a real place called hell. And that's not his desire, but that's what's going to happen. And so for those who are not God's people, his promises don't go to them. But his guarantees are there that his plan is going to work out. And so when we start looking at God's plan for our life, like we see in Jeremiah 29-11, what we see is that this is a specific case for his people. Because it's going to go on in verses 12 and 13, and it's going to talk about, I have plans to prosper you. This is where the roots of the, the evil of the prosperity gospel comes in, is that God's got a plan for you, and if you're not rich, and if you're not doing this and this and this, then you must be outside of God's plan. This was not God's plan in 2022. This was God's plan for these people to say, 70 years, you're going to serve out your sentence. And when you're done, I'm going to repopulate the promised land. And I'm going to raise my kingdom of my people above all the people of the earth. And I'm going to do so to demonstrate my sovereignty and my power because I am God and you are not. And I'm going to do so so that people will know there's a God in Israel. And when they turn to, to all sorts of other things that fail them, to all sorts of other government plans and policies and programs that fail them, there's still going to be a sovereign God that says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And that's what he was trying to tell them. And this word welfare is this beautiful word of shalom, that you will have my full well-being, my full peace will be with you forever and ever. Because God desires good for his people. And sometimes when we get to a place where nothing's going right, where nothing's working like it's supposed to, what we can see is, is that God never promised me riches. He never promised me a big house. He never promised me a perfect job. He didn't promise me perfect relationships. What he promised me is that he would love me and that he would be my God and I could be his people. God's never looking back. He has big plans for his people. But there are consequences for those who reject him who are not his people. God doesn't scrap his plans because we won't get on board, by the way. And I think sometimes we kind of think that, that if this is God's plan, all I have to do is not participate and it won't, it won't go through. Let me tell you something. Participation in God's plan is an invitation for blessing. Rejecting God's plan in your life is an invitation for heartache and pain. Which is why this passage ends in verse 12. With our last point, and may God our comfort ever. Jeremiah 29, 12, God says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather 
you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The promise that he makes in Jeremiah 29, 11 is specific to this group, and there are applications for us. But God is very clearly saying that there's reward for your obedience, but he does not mistake effort for results. The problem that many of us often find when we get out of whack with God's plan is that we're only about 90% in. We're only about 80% in. We're only on 50-50 because we have options to explore. God's way, my way, somebody else's way. You cannot seek God with all of your heart when you still got an escape plan behind you. I remember talking with a young man who was about to graduate college, didn't know what he was going to do. He was interning at a church for the summer. Grunt work is what we kind of did with them. What are you thinking about doing? He goes, I don't know. I'm thinking about maybe going to the police academy and becoming a detective. I'm like, that's great. But if that doesn't work out, I think I'll go into ministry. That's awesome. That's great. I'm sure glad God's your second choice. That's wonderful. Good for you. I mean, when you when you prioritize what what you want to do with your life, you have decided I can go be a police detective or or, or I can serve God vocationally. Let me just tell you why this is so messed up. There was no clarity that God had called him to do that. He had just looked at this and just said, that looks easy enough. You guys only work three hours a week. I only work like two. As Charlie said last week, I get paid for two. The troubling part when we get to verses 12 and 14 for so many people is that when we look at events that happen throughout the world, and we declare this verse over that, that God has a plan for this, that he allowed for those kids to get killed, that he allowed for those people to get shot in a grocery store, that he allows for wars, that he allows for famine, that he allows for, for kids to starve in our own community, that when we say that so flippantly, that this is God's plan, we miss out that our responsibility, particularly as Christ followers, is to step in the gap to demonstrate our allegiance to Jesus Christ. So that when there are people out there who are exercising the same free will that we have that imparts their burden upon others, when someone makes a choice to harm students that way, when someone makes a choice to harm a spouse in a home, when someone makes a choice to follow down the wrong path, we need to stand in the gap and say, listen, God's not going to make you rich, he's not going to make you famous, but he's going to love you forever and ever. And you don't have to make that choice and that he does have a plan for you. I can tell you this morning with certainty that God's plan was not for those kids to die. I can tell you for certain that God's plan is, is not for any of us to be in such a place that we're so far away from him that we just leave everything really up to chance because that's kind of what we do when we say it's God's plan. But if we stop at Jeremiah 29, 11 and think that those promises are for us, we miss the greater promise that he's given us. Miss the reality that yes, God does have a plan for each and every one of us, but we have the choice to participate in that plan or not. We miss wrestling with the reality that everything that God causes or allows us to do is to fulfill His promises to His people. There's a world out there that's looking and trying to figure out why God does or doesn't do what He does, and they're not His people. 
that can change. But we're going to always question those things until we know God and we can know him through his word. It's what Paul reiterated in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And who, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things. God allows things to happen in this world that we will probably never understand. He allows those things to happen so that everyone understands that there are choices to be made, there are decisions to be made, and there are consequences for those choices. And many times those consequences impact the lives of others. Is it fair? Absolutely not. But it is what the world deserved because when sin brought into this world, everything was messed up. Nothing works the way it's supposed to anymore. But when we are God's children, we understand that his plan for our life is not prosperity, it's not wealth, it's not a better life, it's not a new government, it's not new freedoms, it's not any of those things. It's eternal life through Christ Jesus. And that's the promise that was made for everybody. I love plans. A-Team was one of my favorite shows, and they always ended it with, I love it when a plan comes together. God has revealed enough of his plan for us to follow him in his word. And so many other people have rejected that plan, and that is their choice to do so. In the meantime, they're going to question, they're going to challenge, and they're not going to find shalom. They're not going to find the peace of God. They're not going to find the welfare of God in anything that man has to offer. So this morning, I want to invite you to consider if God has a plan for your life, Father, we bless you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that he loved us so much that your plan from the beginning was not just to gather a bunch of people who nod their heads and agree with everything you say, but, Father, people who submit to your sovereignty, to your authority, who are used by you and for you because it pleases them to know that they are being obedient into eternity. Father, your plan involves the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And for that, God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that in this world when horrible things happen, we can turn to you and know that we may not understand everything, but we have a Savior who will put all things right in the end. God, I pray, particularly for our nation, particularly for our young people right now who are just inundated, false information, with false hopes that improve a situation temporarily but do not speak to the eternity of their lives. Father, would you guard their hearts, would you guard their minds, Lord, would you fill their hearts and minds with your word. Father, might we remember those words that when we seek you with all of our heart, we will find you. Lord, this morning as we celebrate the death of resurrection of Jesus, we do so for eternal life through him. And we thank you, Lord, that you can do so in this country. You can do so in this place. Father, continue to send your spirit 
minister to those in the valley and Buffalo and Tulsa. Probably may never get the full answers as to why. weeks, we're actually going to get to a place in Jeremiah 31 that is the promise for all people. This is really one of the coolest things I've seen in Scripture in a long time. 